podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Are you looking for the perfect way to take your brand to the next level? Want to reach a dedicated, engaged audience that's all ears? With Audiohook.com, you can do just that. Audiohook is the premier podcast advertising platform, connecting advertisers with some of the best podcasts in the world. Audiohook uses advanced targeting techniques to ensure your message reaches the right ears at the right time. With detailed analytics, you'll be able to track your campaign's performance and optimize your strategy for maximum impact. Plus, their team of experts are there every step of the way, providing guidance and support to make your campaign a success. So, whether you're a startup, a small business owner, or a marketing pro, Audiohook is your one-stop shop for podcast advertising success. Head over to audiohook.com to start your journey today. Brand new for the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy, J.N. Fiend Phoenix, and me, Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. I am your host, Danny Mitz. Today, we are previewing a huge matchup. The matchup that we all thought was going to be one of the marquee matchups of the Big 12 Conference season. Um, we took a little bit of a detour to get there, but ultimately everything kind of worked its way out the way that it should. And we have, with College Game Day coming to town on Saturday, Kansas versus Baylor for first place in the Big 12 Conference. With only four games to go after this one, so it's a big one. Coming back to the show to help us break all this down, it is, uh, you know him as Matt is Bear over on Twitter. He is one half of the Between Two Bears podcast uh, here on the 1012 Podcast Network. Matt, how are you doing today? We are about, what, 85, 90% of the way through the regular season, and I am about 85 or 90% through this venti iced coffee at, what, 8 p.m. at night. Because we have to talk about this game. We have to talk about this game and oh, how yeah. it sets up the rest of the season. I am ecstatic. This is what college basketball, at its most compressed value, at least during the regular season, this is what it looks like. Well, I just, I'm, I'm thrilled. And it's funny because, I mean, I think the biggest, you know, the biggest uh, story of all of this to come out, right, is that even with how crazy this conference has been, you know, with Kansas State, Iowa State just being phenomenal up at the very beginning of the conference season, we somehow worked ourselves exactly to where we expected to be, you know, in this time frame with Baylor, Kansas, Texas, all because of various reasons, you know, in the race for, you know, and, and basically at, at the top of the Big 12 conference. Um, and then you have a slew of other teams. Now, Iowa State, Kansas State, you're not, you weren't expecting them to be, you know, the four and five in the conference right now. Um, but you knew that you know teams like Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, and Texas Tech were going to be able to wreak havoc um, just in that middle of the entire conference. And and while Texas Tech has struggled, like this is what we expected, right? A super um, a super deep conference, top to bottom. 
You know, it just a conference that if you looked at and put dropped any of these teams into any other conference, they probably would be in the top half, if not in the top three or four of that conference. It's been absolutely insane, and yet we are still right back here with Kansas and Baylor, you know, as the two best, you know, two of the best teams in the conference. Um, you know, Kansas at eight, Texas at nine, Baylor at ten, all in Ken Palm. Um, you know, and again, only four games left after this one. So, like, this is a hugely important game, as most Kansas Baylor games seem to be towards the end of the year in the last few years. This feels like um, either like one of those big blockbuster medieval war movies or a Game of Thrones battle um, on TV where you have two, the two sides, the two massive armies just clashing together, causing just a, just a ton of chaos and bloodshed. But then the, the two, the two badasses emerge from the chaos and they somehow find each other on the battlefield. And one, one is wearing Adidas armor and one's wearing Nike (laughs) armor. And, uh, and yeah, here we have it. Now, you know, you know, it's funny. It's funny. Um, to me, the analogy that I jumped to, it's like if the mighty ducks two had two protagonist teams that were Kansas and Baylor that struggled in the middle of the season and both got it turned on to face the, um, Let's see. It's the Iceland team in in that one. Um, yeah, you and know. for some reason, there's a cow just somewhere in the battlefield yeah, exactly. or on the ice rink, yeah. and it hasn't died yet for some reason. Nobody really knows why, and nobody knows if they should really be worried about it. But yeah, exactly. That's kind of the way it works. So, all right. So looking at this, I mean, obviously Baylor had a rough start to the beginning of the conference of the conference schedule, um, and then they kind of got it turned around when they faced the Jayhawks for the first time. But I would say that these are probably two completely different teams uh, that we're looking at now. Um, what has changed for Baylor from the beginning of the conference season to now to allow them to have this huge turnaround? Well, when you you don't give up more than, uh, what is it, 59 points for the entire month of December, and you walk into Ames, Iowa, um defense all of a sudden becomes a lot harder. (laughs) And so you look at those first three games of conference play for Baylor, which were losses and they give up seven. I'm sorry. Yeah. They give up 77, 88, and then 97 in an overtime. And it's very hard to win. I don't care how good your offense is. It's very hard to win when you don't play good defense. And let me tell you the defense in those three games, if you did not watch them was bad Transition defense was bad. Half-court defense was bad. Everything in between those two points of defense was bad. But then you you clamp down a little bit harder, and you clamp down a little bit more, and you clamp down a little bit more, and you end up holding, you know, an Oklahoma team that can score on occasion to 60. You hold an Oklahoma State team, which, admittedly, you should hold them to under 60, but you do that successfully, and, you know, you you lose a, a, a tough game against Texas, but you played pretty good defense. And it, it just seems as through January, this Baylor team learned how to become a Baylor team again, right? Scott Drew peppered in some zone in there a little bit more often than we had the last couple of years. And then, and then at the beginning of February, Jonathan Chalmuchachua comes back. I'm sure we'll d- dive into that a little bit more later, but he he comes in, he completely changes the defense for the minutes that he's in there. The team has new life. LJ Cryer goes supernova, and here you have it, right? This is starting to look like what it was designed to be. And it has been 
man, the last two weeks, the last four games have been so much fun, mainly because they haven't been as stressful. Every Baylor game, every Big 12 game seems to be just a massive heart attack the entire 40 minutes. The last four have been a little bit more relaxing. So, Well, and it's, it's funny, too, because you look at like that first stretch of conference play, you know, that first three-game losing streak. You know, it was Iowa State who was picked, I think, eighth in the conference. Kansas State mm-hmm. who was picked tenth in the conference, and sandwiched around a TCU yeah, team. Yeah, we didn't know, right? A, a TCU team. One, it, it's a rival, so you know you can always kind of throw out oh. records whenever that happens. But also, you know, they were they were very much a boomer bust team, depending on how Mike Miles did, how Mike Peavy does. Right. Um, they were going through some of their own issues in terms of injuries, but you guys were dealing with injuries. I think the fact that once the once the surprise wore off, right, in terms of knowing right. which teams are actually going to be good, it was, it was much better. I do also think, though, you know, a lot of it, too, is um, injuries were, were definitely an issue. But mm-hmm. I think just the fact that this Big 12 conference continues to evolve because you continue to see teams do things differently. Even Kansas, you know, does is doing a lot of things differently this year than they normally do. They're a completely different team than what you expect. You know, the, the carnage that's happening over at, at Texas with – their head coaching situation and then, um, you know, and, and then uh, like what they were been able to do kind of up and down, it almost kind of gave them a shot in the arm, but also, you know, you, you're starting to kind of see some of the signs of them maybe not necessarily having the same, the same guy, um, you know, calling plays that, that put the roster together. So it, it's, it's interesting to kind of see how everything is shaping up, but you know, it, it's, it's impossible to know what's actually going to happen. Just look at this last week, right? Where Iowa state lost two games, um, you know, Kansas State lost a game on the road to Oklahoma. Like, there's been some really weird results happening. You know, Kansas has, has struggled at times, but, uh, you know, like, they've seemed to turn it on and gotten back to where they are, and, and like you said, Baylor is. I do find it interesting, though. You said that, the, you know, the defense is the turnaround um, or the biggest, you know, notice that you look at. But but if, if you look at the, the conference-only, you know, play over on Ken Palm, they still have by far the worst defense in conference play. Oh, that's such a everybody dark else. red. Yeah. When you like, flip the conference only stats on, it's just like, I mean, a it's a full, very, it's a full it's a point under red. Oklahoma, which is kind oh. of crazy. The funny thing is though, you go flip the other direction. They are, you know, eight full points ahead of, or eight, eight and a half full points ahead of Texas for number two in terms of offense. And, and so it's, it's, it's one of those kind of dichotomy situations. I think where Baylor, is a team, and, and definitely correct me if, if you you know disagree with the way that I'm characterizing this, but it seems like Baylor is a team that has lived so long on its offense and not necessarily had to play the same level of defense, and they also just you know have been dealing with injuries and other things that have caused problems where the defense that they're usually known for is not anywhere near as effective as it used to be for this in the season. Last year. Yeah, in the last few years. For the, right. Okay, right. I was about to say, I was like, those defenses last two. Oh, oh yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about this this season. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I but think... I mean, like you, you you look at Kansas, right? Like Kansas defense is normally phenomenal, and and while they're pretty good this year, they're not as good as they usually are, and the offense is, you know, not where it usually like it's it's been a weird year, I think, for a lot of teams where they're doing things completely differently from what we're used to. And I think Baylor's probably one of the biggest examples. They usually have a, a fairly good offense, but a spectacular defense. This year they have the best offense in the entire nation and, you know, a mediocre defense, essentially. Well, hear me out. I'm actually, I'm going to compliment Bill Self, which does not happen often. But I mean this one from the heart, right? <clears throat> so one of the most infuriating things about watching Kansas basketball over the course of a season is they might be terrible. I usually 
sit down with a glass of wine, make it an appointment to watch Kansas against some some you know uh, D two or low level D one uh, team with a bunch of athleticism and talent early on in the season because I know Kansas doesn't have that defense dialed in quite yet. But so so like Missouri, right? It's <laughs> something like that. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't help myself. <laughs> Nailed it. Got him. Um, but the infuriating thing is you can count on it like a watch, man, as the season goes on, that Kansas defense gets better where it falls on the scale of compared to other Kansas teams for a particular year, whatever. But that team will always get better on defense. The The thing is, I think that's happening with Baylor to a degree, right? I And, and the way I would craft my roster had I had, you know, if I had the opportunity to, I would load it with offensive skill talent and then work on the defense because in, you know, improving on defense is a lot about effort and coordination and communication. And because if you have the offensive skill talent, you probably have the athleticism to play okay defense. It's really hard to just take a leap offensively in the middle of a season. You can't just add a whole bunch of skill sets in the middle of a season to your offensive game or your team's collective game. So yeah, the way this is falling is encouraging to me, but yes, that, that defensive efficiency rating is, Ooh, it like, is not, I, I'm going to be honest. It's got to get, it's got to get better a lot quicker, you know, for them to make a deep run of the tournament, yeah. because that yeah. is like the perfect recipe, right. For like a, you know, three fourteen or a 14, you know, I'm sorry, or, or a, or a four thirteen upset in the NCAA tournament, a team that you know, and, and Kansas, I think to an extent, did that earlier this year, where their offense went just ice cold, and the defense was good still, but couldn't do enough to get them, you know, to be able to win some of the games that they had. I, I mean, I think, I think to a degree that that was what happened for them against you know down in Baylor. Um, that's what happened for them against uh, you know looking at like Iowa State and Tennessee. Like the defense played really well in those games. But the offense just didn't have enough firepower because everybody right. was off that night, and that and those right. are going to happen. So if you if you're not a sound defense, you don't give yourself an opportunity in those types of games. And I think that's where that's Baylor has struggled, is that in the games where their offense has been off, it's been really bad. Luckily, they have not had those you know off nights um, very very frequently at all in the last right. like you know they had the game against Arkansas where you know the offense definitely seemed to be a little bit off in that game, but they were still able to kind of pull that one out because I don't think Arkansas is as great of a team as, as their Ken Palm rating seems to, to indicate that they are. But um, man, this has just been a, a ridiculously strange season to see all kinds of weird stuff. You know, West Virginia, <laughs> they're at 21 in Ken Palm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> like this is like the perfect example, right? They're, they're 15 and 11, 21 in Ken Palm, four and nine in the big 12 conference. Like, yeah. I don't know how to make sense of all of that On together. a two-game losing streak, yeah. Right. It's Where just, like, it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is so ridiculous. Like, you look at you look at the lowest-rated team is Texas Tech at 61, and they have now beat three ranked opponents exactly. in a row at home. This is, this is, like, even Oklahoma has gotten a big win now over Kansas State to get back to 500 in the conference. Um, I don't think Oklahoma's going to make the tournament just because I don't know that they can get enough big, you know, spots. Yeah. but. I mean, if, if if Texas Tech were to sneak in as like you know one of the last four in because they got a couple big wins and their and their you know their uh, schedule actually sets up pretty nicely for them to have an opportunity to get some big wins. Like, I would not be shocked to see nine Big Twelve teams in this tournament, and that's how crazy this entire season has been. 
Yeah, it would be shocking, but I wouldn't be shocked. Does that make right. any sense at well, all? Well, just because of the sheer numbers. Like, nobody's ever gotten right. 80% of their teams in, and the 12 <laughs> right. it looks almost like they're a shoe-in for that. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how all of that shapes up. But, of course, what goes into how this, you know, conference season, is, or I'm sorry, how, how the conference tournament seedings are going to shape up, which, which that, that's another thing we could spend a while talking about, just because I, I saw someone put a graphic out for all the possibilities for conference tournament seedings. And it's as chaotic as I've ever seen it at this point. <laughs> I think there's, uh, I don't actually have it pulled up while we're recording, but I believe there was like six teams that had a better than 10% chance of getting the one seed, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And and, and maybe In it's not Big quite that tournament. many. Yeah. Oh, wow. For the, for the big 12 tournament, like, or maybe it was, you know, six or seven that had like a 5% or higher chance, but it was, it was ridiculous. Like Texas had like a 30% chance. Kansas had like a 27%. Like it was like you had the, the, the top three with the big, huge, you know, opportunities there, but the rest of it was like split super evenly, you know, with like Iowa state and Kansas state having an opportunity, Oklahoma state having opportunity. There are a lot of teams that are on really big hot streaks. Even if the results, like in terms of wins, losses don't actually show it, they're all playing really well. And for the second, for the second year in a row, you know, the Big 12 has a gigantic list of just absolutely phenomenal defenses. Um, you know, only two teams are outside the top 50 in Ken Palm in defense, and that's Baylor at 78, which we already talked about, uh, and then Oklahoma at 51. Like, yeah, Oklahoma at 51. And right, I think if you go back, like, three weeks, I believe Baylor was in the hundreds, like, in defense. So, We're like, they're there. definitely improving. We're getting there. But the, big, but the Big 12 is not necessarily the best place to improve your defensive ratings. No. <laughs> So no. your so, your defensive quality, sure, but right. not your ratings. <laughs> All right. So so looking at this game, I mean, you know, this is kind of well, really, what is the most intriguing matchup for you for this game? Because I can point to a lot of different things, right? We, I, we could talk about players, we could talk about the coaching matchup, we could talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, is there a, a matchup that jumps out to you, especially kind of given the context of what happened the last time these two teams met uh, down in Waco? And, you know, or, or is there some other like aspect that you think is going to just play an outsized role in kind of the flow of this game? I think I have a pretty good idea of what these Baylor players are, but I have my, my biggest matchup question is really um, like an existential question for a couple of the Kansas players. And I'll, I'll lay them out for you. What is Kevin McCuller? (laughs) That's my first one. The answer it's to that Kevin one is McCullough. yes. <laughs> yeah. Kevin McCuller versus himself. Like, which Kevin McCuller is going to show up on Saturday? He can be phenomenal. We've seen what he can do. He was great against Oklahoma State. The, he's a high-quality player. I was not trying to demean the quality of his ability. Oh, yeah, no, no. Well, well, but it is a fair question because Kevin McCuller is kind of in that role, right, that, uh, that Jalen Wilson had last year. Where he was right. that garbage man, that utility That's a guy. Good way that, to put that. Yeah, yeah, like if you needed somebody to do something, you could count on him to be able to pick it up because he's talented enough in a lot of different areas that he can, you know, he can be an assist guy, he can be a defensive right. stopper, he can be, you know, a three and D guy, he can do all kinds of stuff. The problem, I think, is when he tries to do too many of them in the same game, and and I think that there's Boy, been problems howdy. where they have to do that because. Everybody else doesn't seem to be able to do it. And that's when he falls apart is when, you know, Jalen Wilson's the only guy taking shots. Grady Dick is, you know, going one of 11 from three or something like that. And yeah, Nicole thinks he has to step up. Right. Right. And, and, and so I think the biggest, the biggest key for Kevin McCuller is to be able to, you know, 
slide into a particular role for this game, that that's what his focus is. He is one of the most versatile players, can do a lot of different things. And even if it's like different roles from one half to another, but trying to go out there and be, you know, a big assist guy for, you know, five minutes. And then the next one having to be like crashing the boards for rebounds and like having to do a ton of different things in a game almost gives him too many things to think about. And he kind of trips over himself a little bit, which I think any player that does that, um, you know, like just uh, switching over really quick to the women's side, just because it it happens to, to, to coincide with this, you know, coach Brandon Schneider for the Jayhawks talked about Chandler Prater and the big win that, that, you know, they had with her, against TCU and it was because she was able, you know, she played in four different positions in that particular game. Yeah. McCuller is a similar type of guy where he can play a bunch of different positions. He can do a lot of different stuff. It's just very rare to be able to do those in one single performance and do all of them. Well, right. So, I mean, that aligns very nicely with Jalen Bridges, right? What does that matchup look like on Saturday? The other one is, Oh, I guess I don't only have to pick two. Dewan Harris, right? What can he do to keep the Baylor defense honest, right? Season-long question for you guys, I would imagine. Um, But I think one of the more interesting ones, it may only be a matchup for 10 to 16 minutes on Saturday. What can – is it Uday or Uday? Ernest Uday. Uday. Yep. Very promising freshman. What can he do to slow – Jonathan Chamochachua, if they're playing at the same time in that in that reserve big man role. Very curious to see how that happens. And then at that point, it just becomes which bench guys are hot, right? Which freshmen are shooting the ball and making the smaller number of bad decisions, right? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, that's, that's really what it boils down to. Grady Dick coming off a really big game. Can he use that momentum? and take it and and have another good one. Can Keontae George bounce back from a less than stellar scoring game, but a game in which he, you know, did a lot of other things well and put the ball in the basket a little bit. Fascinating game. There's literally, we could go down every single position on the floor on the two deep and, and talk about that matchup for 15, 20 minutes. At least I could. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, we definitely could. Unfortunately, I don't think I've got, you know, I don't think a lot of people want to hear a three hour episode. I'm sure we have plenty of people that would like to hear it, but I don't think I don't it's enough to do a three hour episode. So yeah, well, and I, I'll, I'm going to have pizza coming. So, you know, I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't want to be stuffing my face while we're recording a podcast. Although it would be, Fair. you know, I mean, it, it'd be great for me, it but it, it would be difficult. I think for the people trying to listen, but no, to, to your point about Grady Dick, like he has been kind of, you know, oscillating back and forth where he'll have, especially recently, he'll have a breakout, what seems like a breakout game, um, especially if it's a breakout game and a win, um, you know, and then after that there, you know, he kind of takes a step back. So like Texas, he had 21 points, took a step back, you know, had, had eight points against Oklahoma, a team that you would have thought he would go off on right. uh, because of his ability to shoot from the outside. But then he goes off on Oklahoma state, a team that I think is actually better equipped to, to handle guarding him from three. Um, you know, you, you have all kinds of just weird stuff like that. You know, he had 24 against Baylor. Um, and then against Kentucky, a team, again, that is, is pretty good on the outside, but is much better, I think, on the inside. You know, he he only had 13. Um, you know, there's just a lot of uneven and kind of – but, but again, he's, he's a freshman. That's the kind of stuff you expect. You know, that's kind of yeah. the, the, the stuff that you can't really guard against. I do have a kind of completely off-topic question because um, you mentioned uh, Jonathan Chamochachua and – I have to ask, is it actually Chamwa Chachua or is it as Mm -hmm. Fran decided to say multiple times on 
It's Chama Chachua, which is really, really oh, weird. Like, Love you, Fran. Is that Fran just being Fran, or is that... That's just Fran being okay. Fran. Um, it, it's funny, too, because he said it with such authority. He's like, you know, I was talking to him, and he's like, that's how it's actually pronounced. And I'm just like... That is not how it's really? I thought. I okay. promise you. I thought I looked at the Baylor like pronunciation guide, and it was what... You, you can know. look at the pronunciation guide. You yeah. can go to David K, the SID. Love you, David K. Um, he has a video of Jonathan pronouncing it himself. Um, I, I really think that probably what happened is that Jonathan decided to mess with Fran and Fran I ran with it on so. live TV. That would be awesome. Man, like, I hope so. if I could ask one question to a Baylor player, that's the question that I would ask because I really have to know. But anyway, well, he's obviously willing to put up with a lot of BS because my buddy Ted, Ted Vid on Twitter, he he paid the NIL fee to get <laughs> Jonathan Chamuchachua to record a video saying, "If I work really hard, I might be able to dunk again on him or something." To that effect, so <laughs> oh, that's he's willing awesome. to put up with a lot of BS. Oh, um, that is that he's, is he's great. a good guy. He's a good guy. So, so to your question though about Uday, like it, it is definitely a strange thing because we saw in the Kentucky game, right, going up against a guy like Oscar Shibwe, um, he actually played really well. He disrupted what Shibwe yeah. was trying to do. He was able to get some you know good plays on the inside. It's it's difficult to know what you're going to get from him though, because again, he's a freshman as well. Right, he is a reserve guy. He doesn't typically get in a lot unless, um, you know, KJ Adams gets in foul trouble. And he also recently has had some issues with foul trouble of his own. You know, he played, I think he played like 18 minutes or something against Oklahoma State and got five fouls and fouled out. Like he has a a, a tendency, I think, to overcommit sometimes on defense and get sure. himself into trouble. But again, freshman, like that kind of stuff happens, and he has a physical presence on the inside that if he's it's, feeling it. It's useful. Like, it's really, really helpful it's to have a guy. very that hard that. to teach 6'11", 250. Yeah, like, exactly. It's hard to teach that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, the other thing that is really hard to teach, um, it is how to make very, very fantastic, comfortable apparel that comes from our sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch more. Uh, they have over 100 schools. They're adding new stuff all the time. They're right in the middle of a whole bunch of different refreshes. They did Iowa State a few weeks back. Um, I, I'm under the impression they're going to be doing Kansas here pretty shortly. Uh, like, you know, pretty shortly being in the next couple months. Because I think in the next couple months they're going to get through pretty much everybody. But I am holding out hope for some fantastic shirt ideas. I've already given them all of my ideas. And I'm sure that they did not listen to a single one of them. Because they are much better at designing t-shirts than I am. So... Um, but if you go over to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHOCK12, you're going to get 15% off your entire first order. Although I am honestly, I would be shocked if anybody listening to this has not already ordered from them. Um, but if you haven't, make sure you go over and use that promo code. Otherwise, just, you know, go get some great shirts. They're, they do fantastic stuff over there. Super excited. I am looking forward to when Kansas finally gets their refresh because even though they haven't had a line for that long, there's still plenty of other great shirts that I really, really want to see. And, you know... I wouldn't mind having another national championship shirt in the lineup after this year. So, you know, well, I'll just, I'll just kind of throw that out there at home field. So, all right. Um, but again, homefieldpro.com promo code chalk 12 gets 15% off that entire first order and all orders over a hundred dollars have free shipping. All right. Uh, I do want to go ahead. We'll dive more into this game, kind of talk about some, some loose odds and ends, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the rock chalk podcast. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Boom! Bosco's Boys is here. 
I think we all wanted it. And the marriage is officially official. I'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 Network, Bosco's Boys, the most consistent K-State podcast out there. Over four years with at least one episode a week. Bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm pumped to be here, and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen. Because we are not Big J Journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans. And I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 Network. And we're back. I am here with Matt Wilson. You know him as Matt is Bear over on Twitter, and he is one half of the Between Two Bears podcast. Honestly, the most irreverent and hilarious podcast that I listen to all the time because uh, I love your guy shenanigans. Like that's that's college exact- sports are dumb, right? And exactly. We need to celebrate that. Look, look. It is it is a Big Twelve centric, um, less famous version of the Shutdown Fullcast. Is the way that I, I you know it's kind of in that same vein of just random conversations that pop up with absolutely no warning that probably have nothing to do with the topic at hand, but they're still worth having anyway. Um, and honestly, I think that's some of the highest praise a podcast can get, you know, is to be It's way too much praise, too, well, because I mean, those it's, guys it's, and gals oh, are gosh, smart. They're, they yes, know they stuff. They are fantastic. They know a lot of stuff. <laughs> and Evan and I know almost no stuff. So <laughs> It has the same go. energy, which I think is probably <laughs> sure. one of the biggest things you need. In, in podcasting is that great energy. So I will take it. All right. So let's take a look. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about some of the, the matchups here. I do want to kind of ask though, like Baylor has definitely gotten a lot better and we've, we've talked about how the defense has been an issue. Um, is there anything though about this Baylor offense that concerns you things that you're, you're afraid that Kansas might be able to take advantage of to kind of shut them down at least somewhat offensively in, in the game coming up? You know, if we had recorded on, Monday, I'm sorry, on Sunday, January 22nd, before the previous Kansas game, I would have said, yes, this team relies entirely too much on three-pointers. I'm fine with the number that they're taking, but there's no counterpunch. Well, we have a counterpunch now, and it is Jonathan John Machachua. It A lot revolves around those 12, 15 minutes that he's playing now over the last four games. Because apparently he's a post threat now, which is wild. It's just wild. This guy's amazing. Um, but this team is getting to the rim more. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's like a phase of the game that worries me specifically about the offense. They are by far and away the number one offense in the nation. It is because they know what they're good at and they do a lot of it. And oftentimes they do it very well. With a jump shooting team, what was it? Charles Barkley said he can't trust a, a jump shooting team when he was talking about the Warriors, the best jump shooting yeah. team of all time. I, I kind of feel like I'm in that Charles Barkley role. Like I'm hesitant to fully buy into basing the entire offense on jump shooting, but there's so much motion with the jump shooting. LJ Cryer's getting so open, and you have five really good shooters on the team. Like, yeah, there have been games where two of the three or two of the five guards have been off. But then you get a random 26 from LJ Cryer and 23 from him in the game before. Like, so I think there's redundancies built into the, to the safe room. That is the jump shooting of this team. Um, offensive rebounding is good. 
I, Good. I, I mean, come on. Fall. It's like the yeah. best in the country. Well, and, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with how many three-pointers that they take. You know, True. Long there, there rebounds. Was, right. There was a lot of uh, – I forget which coach I you know first remember hearing it from, but there's, there's coaches that basically said that the teams that – like it seems counterintuitive, but the teams that are the best at shooting threes and shoot threes most often are also one of the better rebounding teams you know, offensively because those long rebounds, it makes it a lot easier – for the player who's on the outside to track where the ball's going and be able to get in the right position to get that rebound, whereas the defender I'd usually love... has to turn around. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So it, it, I'd love to see the data on that. Yeah, I mean, you have a, a pretty big advantage, I think, uh, just in in a lot of those cases because of that positioning. And then, of course, you have to have to have to guys that are you know aggressive enough to actually go get them. But um, you know, Baylor has that in spades. I, I, you know, the one thing that jumps out to me, and 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 I, I definitely understand the hesitancy, right? Because I've been a fan of a Kansas team that we've relied so much on jump shooting. And it, when it goes ice cold, like it did, you know, against Oregon in the uh, elite eight here and here in Kansas city, um, you know, that is one of those things that there's not really much you can do. Like if you're so predicated on jump shooting and you just can't hit a bucket, you know, you, you still have to score in order to actually be able uh, to, to, to win a game, no matter how good your defense is. So, but looking at like the one thing that jumps out to me is, is blocking. Um, you know, it seems like uh, Baylor gets blocked quite a bit. Um, it's, it's at eleven point eight percent of their shots. Small is that, guards, right? Is is that because more of guards that are driving into a bunch of you know tall guys down in the perimeter, or I'm sorry, down in the post, or is there some other thing going on? Well, I think the Arkansas game probably altered that number drastically. I think every shot we threw up just about got blocked at some point by that Arkansas team, uh, Texas too, for that matter. Um, but yeah, just smaller guards, they, they attack the rim and when they do, they're just going to get blocked more often. I'm, I'm not as worried about that. In fact, you know, them, you know, getting their shot, their shot blocked so many times means that they are running to the rim or they are driving, uh, the ball as much as they should be. So that's, that's good. Um, turnovers can get a little high on occasion, but for the most part, they've mitigated that over the last month and a half. So yeah, it really just is like a make your jump shots kind of concern for me. The most of the concern is is defensively, um, but the offense, man. I, I I every time one of the guards shoots it, I feel like it's going in, and I think that counts for something? Question mark. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely think that they've got a lot going for them on the offensive end with a lot of that. Like, yeah, blocking is I think the only thing. I, I am a little curious though how low or how they have such a low two point percentage, you know, it's, it's 49.8, which is not good. Uh, I'm sorry that that's in conference play. It's at 52%, a little bit better, uh, overall, which still only puts you in the top a hundred. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's one of those things though, as they get, you know, if, if, uh, Chama Chachua is making that much of a difference. And I think we'll kind of see that as it goes on. And, and Baylor definitely seems to be hitting their peak right now. Um, whereas, you know, they're one of a few teams that have seemed to be hitting their peak right now in the Big 12. And I think there's, as we talked about earlier, there's plenty of opportunities for pe- for teams to be hitting their peak, even with the wins not actually coming, um, just because of how good the conference is and how good yep. everyone's playing. Defensively, though, what is it that concerns you the most about what Kansas does um, in terms of when they match up against this Baylor team? Like, where is Kansas going to be able to find the most success, do you think, coming up? McCullers, Wilson, Dick, all very large individuals. That worries me because you roll out a lineup of Cryer, Flagler. George is, is 
he plays bigger than people realize, and he's been playing better defensively. Uh, but even a Langston Love, Langston Love plays very big, but he's not very big. Um, it, it, that worries me a bit. Um, but don't having Harris out there mitigates it a bit. But yeah, just the just the undersized guards. It's just a, a fact of life. When you have smaller guards, they're usually going to be quicker, but they're also going to give up something on the defensive end. Um, Flo Thamba being not as mobile um, or as engaged defensively at times um, against other teams. He always seems to bring it against Kansas. Or if, if you have Drew Timmy out there, you know he'll bring it. But <laughs> but uh, just, just it, it's more of a just capability thing. I, physical for the guards and just emotional, I think, for the bigs. But I, I hate to point it. I hate to point at it again, but Jonathan Chamachacha, when he's out there, he gets people organized and engaged immediately. He is a middle linebacker behind everybody, just getting everybody lined up and engaged and focused. And you you can tell. That's the thing. It's not just lip service to it. You can tell that the guys have a different energy on that side of the court when he's out there. Really curious to see how many minutes he plays. Yeah, I'll be interested too. I mean, I just – Flo Thamba – you know, had had a, a decent outing against the Jayhawks the last time. Uh, I, I think it was just a decent outing. I mean, he, he only had four points, but I think the way that he played kind of disrupted the way that, that uh, Kansas wanted to play with K.J. Adams on the inside. And that was as Adams was kind of finally rounding into form of what he's been able to do um, and then dealing with that kind of first pushback as people adjusted to him. I think the fact that Kansas does have, you know, Ernest Uday, he only played five minutes in the last one and had a turnover and a foul, and that was the only thing that he did in the entire last game that these two teams played. He's taken some big steps. K.J. Adams, I think, is taking some big steps. So I'll be very interested in that one-two punch because they bring completely different play styles, and they've gotten teams in a lot of trouble, especially if they have guys that can't be that versatile. You know, if if if, uh, if Scott Drew's not as as uh, attentive in terms of switching out his bigs with, you know, Flo Thamba and, uh, and Chamachachua, um, Kansas could potentially take advantage of some matchups there and try to find some ways to make them super uncomfortable. I think that's honestly the biggest thing to me because, like you said, I think that Kansas has the advantage, right, with those bigger guards on the outside. Um, there's definitely some concerns about Kansas being able to, you know, stay hot with the shooting that they have. But in terms of tactical, like where you can have the most tactical impact on the game for self and and uh, and and uh, Scott Drew there. I think it's going to be how you play on the inside, how you get guys to to react there, because that is somewhere that's going to I think have a huge effect on this game. Kansas has been great shooting from outside, but you know it's really about that spacing on the inside. They have a lot of guys that cut into the middle, and if there's not that spacing there, and you know you don't have those guys playing very well, um, it makes it a whole lot easier to collapse on guys that are driving, which is where when Kansas gets into trouble. Um, I'm definitely as well interested to kind of see. Um, for, for Kansas, I think one of the big stats is going to be bench points uh, because Kansas had some issues with Jalen Wilson trying to do too much. If they don't have a lot of bench points, you know, if they've got guys that aren't really playing very well coming off the bench, it makes put, puts, a, puts a ton of pressure on Wilson and McCuller. They don't necessarily play as well. And then the other thing that really kind of surprises me, and I didn't realize they were doing so well in this, Kansas has an assist on like 61% of their made baskets oh. this year which is that's surprising yeah it's a ridiculously high number it's much higher than they've ever had i think it's like 11th in the nation and it's much higher than they've had in you know any of bill self's great teams which i think kind of hammers home just how different of a style this game or this this team is you know 
they, they're not used to having, I think, a point guard who distributes as much as he does. <laughs> but they're also not used to, I think... Aggressively distributes. Well, yeah, that's right, exactly. He aggressively distributes, but he also, like... There's a lot of guys that are really good interior passing. I think that's that's what KJ Adams does really well. I think Uday has been a lot better at it um, recently, where they can pass from the inside instead of just going up with it. You know, when Wilson does a lot of cutting and passing to an open guy, Grady Dick has done a really good job about that. They have a lot of guys I think that are much better at getting assists, and it's a very passing first team to open up for the good shot. Um, the problem that they have is just they don't always go down, and they don't usually. Or they haven't been going down at, at, at as big of a clip as you're used to seeing from a Kansas team. So, all right. Uh, final thoughts for this. Uh, like, how do you think the game's going to go? Who do you think is going to win this game? And and then we can take a look and just briefly about how we think the rest of the season's going to go. When you when you think about this Kansas team, you immediately think of Jalen Wilson, right? Naismith. Uh, what not? Is it the Naismith Player of the Year? What, Correct. What's the... There's like a bunch of them, but yes, Naismith yeah. is the one that you usually think Player of the Year candidate, right? Yep. Um, and he reminds me. So I have I'm coaching my son's YMCA team right now, first and second graders, and there's one kid who's just naturally more talented than everybody else, more aggressive, takes way too many shots, and I feel like I'm watching him when I watch Jalen Wilson pass the ball. What are you doing? And he makes another one. You're like, okay, well, dang it. I, am I stupid or am I I correct in thinking they should move the ball more? Or what am I watching here? Yeah. So it's very frustrating to watch him just pour in bucket after bucket. that being said, so I I mean, the, the numbers say that this is like a four to five point Kansas win. And I understand that being at home, you know, big environment, college game day, it's going to be insane. Um, how does Keontae George handle that? How does Jalen Bridges and Caleb Lohner, like how do the newcomers handle that? Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain the the guys who have been around will handle that pretty well. But who blinks first, right? It's going to be a game of runs. Um, I, I do not see it being a four or five point game. I see this being like a two or three point game maximum. Well, <laughs> it's I mean, I think crazy. I, I could easily see though a... Um... You know, it ends up being like a six or seven point game because we're hitting free throws at the end. And like, oh yeah, but like, in, like yes. but right, in like, spirit, in spirit, a two to three point game. Yeah, right. This is it's gonna it's probably gonna be the closest eight point you know margin that you've ever seen. Great way of putting that. Yeah. Great way of putting that. And and it is so frustrating that I can see it going either way. <laughs> I could absolutely see it going either way. Jalen Wilson gets hot. Grady Dick gets hot. Uh, everything goes right for Kansas or Baylor. Um, you know, is able to mitigate some of the transition defense problems that they've had. And, you know, you get really good front court play and Baylor, um, you know, grinds out a win there. So do I have to, are you going to make me pick? No, not if you don't want to. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't really want, I like, I would love to pick Baylor, right. But it's really hard to go into Lawrence and win. Yeah. Um, And I don't think it would be like this doomsday situation if Baylor did lose a close one. I just, I really want to see this Baylor team play competent defense. And if they are not hitting, find a counter punch, however they get to the basket, find a counter punch. Those two things happy. I'm elated because it's a long it's there's five games left in conference play for Baylor. All I'm wanting is three and two. Whatever happens, happens. Three games on the road, two at home. You you take one road game, defend home court, and I'm good to go. Past that, I just want a really good game. 
refed by John Higgins. So who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, the only thing that gives me pause from just picking Kansas immediately straight out, you know, like right out is because is what happened against TCU at home, right? Like you saw a team that struggled. Uh, you saw a team that just couldn't get anything going. And that's not something I'd ever seen, I think, in Allen Fieldhouse in a really long time, at least. Um, that was in a conference game, especially. Uh, and so I think that's the thing you have to kind of be worried about. This is definitely a much more mature team than they were back then. And I think that sure. they are at a spot now where they can handle that sort of thing. But that's always like back in the back of your mind. Like, are they going to, ha- you know, completely lay an egg like they did against TCU? Um, it's a possibility, especially with the way that Baylor, you know, plays. And, and if, if Baylor gets on a big, huge run early in the game, um, you know, the only thing like they have to, they're going to have to keep telling themselves, Hey, this is a Baylor team that gives up a lot of points. Like we can come back on them. Um, you know, string together a couple stops. Like, but I, I could easily see, you know, like a 15 point margin that balloons early in the game for one of these teams. And then it's a matter of, well, who, who's able to turn that into either extra motivation or, you know, turn that into some real momentum. Um, it will be, I think, a very interesting game. This is one of those games I honestly could see this ending like in 15 different ways. Like I could see, yeah. I could see Baylor getting a blowout win because the offense is just on and Kansas can't hit a shot. Yeah. I could see Kansas finding a way to slow down Baylor enough and taking full advantage of the defensive issues yeah. that Baylor has. And I could see a game that's back and forth where it's a, you know, a high scoring, like in the nineties or one that's even like down in the sixties because, grinder, yeah. because both teams for whatever reason just can't hit anything. So <laughs> it happens. I will be very, very interested. So, all right, Matt. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and do it for us today. Uh, or, you know, no, you, you know what, really, really quick, rest of the conference season, um, you know, like like we said, there's four games after that um, with so many different teams that have a shot of grabbing that overall number one seed and getting the quote-unquote oh, regular season title. Is there one that jumps out to you? Um, and are you on team four-way tie for the Big 12 <laughs> conference title? Because, honestly, I think that's probably where we're headed. Um, unless, you know, Kansas does their normal Kansas thing and wins the last five to, you know, just mm-hmm. seal it. The only acceptable version of Texas winning a Big 12 championship is a four-way oh. split. Or, uh, or honestly, a five-way split. Like, that's... Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think the six-way that was bantied about, like, two or three weeks ago is still possible, but, yeah, the four- or five-way split would be... theoretically possible, but it's much like the, uh, uh, much like, you know, we're talking about... Uh, uh, the Avengers, the college you football know, playoff. No, oh, like the Avengers, the, okay. the Avengers Infinity War is like the one possibility. Right, the one <laughs> one multiverse. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, all uh, right. Well, I see that. I see this being a three way, a three way split for for the championship, which is wild, but very. Yeah, powerful. I mean, it's it's one of those. I could see either Kansas State or Iowa State getting back up there and and pushing. Sure. Um, the problem I think for Kansas State is that they don't really have any direct games against you know the teams that yeah. they would be trying to get get. Um, you know, kind of make up ground on. Um, I could also see Oklahoma State making a big push because they've been playing really well. Um, so it's there's a lot of chaos still to happen in this conference. Um, I think I think what's even what's more interest like as interesting as the top of the conference is. I'm actually I think just as interested in the bottom of the conference as well because there's so many teams that are fighting for. You know, it's not very often where you say the last place team in your conference is fighting for an opportunity to be on the bubble for the, the NCAA tournament. So look, really, really looking forward to that. All right, Matt, where can, where can everybody find your stuff online? For those that really want to listen to, uh, honestly, the most irreverent and uh, amazing podcast that's on, you know, the, the entire 1012 network, 
Um, where can they go to find that stuff? If you really want to, it's at Matt is bear on Twitter um, or at between TWO bears on Twitter as well. Um, yeah. And then uh, I have a lot of really good, smart people doing a lot of really cool things over at our daily bears.com. Uh, so go give that a check. And uh, yeah, man, it's a specific life choice, but come on over. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the aftermath of this game when both Kansas and Baylor move up because I just saw literally <laughs> that Maryland upset Purdue. Um, so Purdue has that fallen again. Oh, yeah, this is ridiculous. Oh, boy. The top oh, of boy. the, you know, the top of the AP poll is just churning Blood like back. crazy now because so many different teams are losing. Alabama lost to Tennessee. Um, you know, and Purdue lost and, you know, Houston's playing a, a pretty decent Memphis team. So there's an opportunity that you look at this top of this, uh, you know, poll and a ton of teams could lose. So one of these two teams could be jumping, uh, may making a huge jump up to, you know, like number two or three in the poll come on, come in Monday. So, um, I like it. Looks like there's a whole lot more than just, you know, big 12 conference seating on the line here, you know, polls that matter at this point in the season. Right. I love it. I love it. I love college basketball. Ah. Me too. It's it's honestly it's the best time of the entire year. I I you know I love the Super Bowl and and with Kansas City winning the Super Bowl, it's so much fun to actually watch that kind of stuff happening. But I'm going to be honest. I think March Madness is you know this entire series because it lasts so long, um, you know, it, and it because you have so many different storylines and you can dive into it in so many different ways. This is the best time of the year for me. I really love having all of these to look at. So, all right, that is going to do it. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. Really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network, of course, and the Sports Drink Network, two great networks that we really enjoy working with. You can find all the great shows covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. And I do mean all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. I think we're only missing one now, um, and that would be TCU. But... Uh, go over to 1012network.com and you can find all those links. Make sure you visit our sponsors, Homefield Apparel. Um, great stuff they're doing over there. Chalk 12 gets you that fantastic deal. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network.